verse 2nd. Were you ready for that? <laughs> Anybody surprised? No? You guys have been watching the calendar close enough? Okay. I, I'm a little surprised. Just because this, this month is so full and I'm excited about it. For me at school, it's exciting because every project that's due this, this semester for me is due next Monday. So I've tried to be wise and pace myself, and God has been good, and I only have one last paper of 4,000 words to write this week, so I'm going to take some vacation time and get her done. <laughs> but yeah, it's also this amazing season we call Advent, which of course is the coming of Jesus, remembering the Advent of Messiah. And so today we, we light an Advent candle, we just light the candle, there we go, awesome. <laughs> We aren't allowed to have fire in this building, so instead we have magic, and so we're also going to light this one Advent candle as well. Yeah, there we go. And uh, maybe we'll let some of you light the candle next time. So, <laughs> next week, there'll be two. This is that first Sunday out of four that we begin to talk in some way, shape, or form about the coming of Jesus. It's tremendously huge holiday for us, one of two holy days, and not just a single day, but a season. And so that's why these days that start today, I'm excited that our women of all ages tonight are getting together to celebrate that as well. And we want to talk about it today. All of the Colossae churches are talking about Advent this year in congruence with our theme in Acts so far. So what's the name of our, our uh, series in Acts? What are we calling it? The history. You see the slides all the time. You, you're not supposed to say anything. <laughs> yes, Jeremy, it is the history of our witness. And we want to talk about some other witnesses because we've been talking primarily about the witness of the Holy Spirit through God's people, through the apostles and through the Christians in so many amazing ways, through miracles, through um, sermons that are clearly carried along by the Holy Spirit like never before. But this uh, next three weeks, we're going to talk about the witness of prophets. That's today. Next week, we'll talk about the witness of angels and what their unique role is. And Derek's getting ready for that. We're looking forward to that. And then on the third Sunday of this month, we're going to talk about the witness of humans as God got them ready to be witnesses of the coming of Jesus. And Jonathan is going to be teaching on that Sunday, Lord willing. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll wrap up with Jesus as the ultimate witness of his own Messiahship. I hope you saw the email this week and you got the schedule that we won't be meeting on Sunday the 23rd. We chose simply to have one gathering in that space there, and we said, let's do it on Christmas Eve. So we're meeting on Monday in this space at 4 o'clock for a Christmas Eve service along with a dance. Uh, but we won't meet on Sunday, so we encourage you to take that Sunday morning slot that you've reserved for Class A Sherwood and maybe have a brunch. If you're a community, you might have a brunch that morning, or if you just want to gather up with some friends, we encourage you to do that. So let's talk about the witness of prophets. I had not realized until we were studying the book of Acts how very consistently there's one term that's given for Jesus in the book of Acts. There's one message and one name that's been given whenever Jesus is talked about. Do you guys, you know what that is? You know what I'm hinting at? That's a great guess. It's inaccurate, but it's great. Yeah, you have the answer. You can't talk this morning. 
<laughs> the word's Messiah. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. It's said over and over and again. And I realized how important it is that we recognize that, that Jesus is the Messiah in particular. And that's what the prophets are witnessing about. And this started at the very beginning. I just want to remind you, Genesis 3.15. From the beginning, mankind has needed help. When there were only two, just one man and one woman, there was, a, there was a need for help. And that need for help was a need for leadership. And it was a need for protection. In the very beginning, there was this sin that occurred. And as a result of it, This is what God said, and this is God prophesying about the Messiah for the first time. He said, and I will put conflict between you, serpent, Satan. I will put conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, that is her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So again, from the very beginning when when humanity was two, There was already a need for divine leadership. There was a need for protection from an evil source and a need for reconciliation between people. This story goes on through the whole Old Testament. And instead of me telling it to you this morning, I'm going to actually have you watch a video. It's about five minutes long, and it tells the story of Messiah up until the coming of Jesus. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, Avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives, even still today. But there is some hope because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. 
and he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground, and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and then it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snakebite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. story, right? Yeah. By the way, just a side note, that's from the Bible Project. They have done a video for every book of the Bible, and now they're doing videos for themes of the Bible, which include Messiah and uh, atonement and just, gosh, every, every concept there is. And I would really encourage you to look at it. They have a read through the Bible app, and we're going to start a new year here in a month. You might want to use it this year. It takes you through the entire Bible in a year, and videos are in there for each book of the Bible. It's also a great way for you as a family to learn some things. So you might look, they're all five to six minutes long, super powerful. I think they're going to become the curriculum for the world here in the next year. They're just exploding with what they're doing with the Bible Project. So use it. It's a wonderful tool. So let's talk about the prophets. That was Messiah. The prophets are witnesses about the Messiah. 
We've all been in Sunday school for a lot of years. I'll bet our combined years in Sunday school are probably 2,000 maybe. I don't know. We won't bother with the math. But because of that, I want to ask you, so what would, who were the prophets? We started with God speaking first, but who are the, who are the human prophets throughout the scriptures? Yep. Did you say Daniel? Samuel, yes. Yeah. Samuel and Daniel. Isaiah, yeah. Uh-huh. Elijah, Jeremiah, good. Yep, Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Malachi. Yeah, I I missed the middle, but I don't think anybody noticed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it even says that John the Baptist was a prophet and Jesus himself was a prophet. So what is the unique um, job or role of a prophet? If you take all of these together, were there any women, by the way? Deborah was a judge. Yeah. Anna. Very good. That's a bonus question. Corinne, you get, you get another donut hole for that. Yeah. Yeah. Who was Anna? Yeah. Yeah. Every prophet wanted to see the day of Jesus. This is said throughout the scriptures. Every prophet was given these amazing... Um, visions, and they were told real specifics about this Messiah, and so naturally they were like, gosh, I hope I'm around for that, and they would pray for that, and they would long for that, and there were two that we know of, Anna and Simeon, who were actually of the right age to still be alive when Jesus showed up, and they spend their, all of their days as an elderly prophet literally in the temple just waiting. Every day they get up and they wonder, is today the day Jesus shows up at the temple, and they go there and they pray and they wait. So they were, they were pretty excited about that. So if we could sum up in a couple of sentences, what's the role specifically of a prophet as, as unique from um, some of these other roles like judge? What's unique about a prophet? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so they receive from God some insight about what's coming. It's not imagination, but it's divine revelation about what's to come. And then along with that, they encourage people to do something about that revelation, right? To respond to it. Good. That's a great summary. What else? Yes. If you wanted to to get a word from the Lord, you would literally go to a prophet, right? Saul did this a few times. He needed to know what God thought. So he would go to a prophet. Yeah, good. What else? <laughs> that makes you a prophet for Tim. Yeah, that was the criteria. That's how you could know if, if the uh, word that they gave about the future was inaccurate, then they were false. And that was not good. Yeah, it involved... It involved rocks, yeah, and death and stuff like that. So, yeah, okay. Okay, that's good. So we know in general this is what prophets do. I just want to review uh, what I would call is the five things that I would say prophets do. And you guys all said this, but here they are specifically. And there they are visually. So first of all, prophets were people of hope. And this might be a contrast to what we would think. But they always were telling us, have always been telling us, better days are coming. 
Prophets most often showed up when things were not going well, when Israel was off course and was far from the will of God. And really, prophets are always telling a story. They're telling God's story. People, we generally are living the story we understand based on our own circumstances and our own interpretation of our days and of our lives. And we would say, my story is this. And each one of us could tell our story. And it would be our interpretation of our experience and what's happening to us. Prophets are always reminding us God is writing a better story. And he's always writing it. And it's always unfolding. So as Israel's story, as a nation together, got really bad, and they were really falling short of God's hope for them, and they were failing each other, and they were losing their battles to their surrounding neighbors, and they were being exiled, the prophets came to say, God is still writing the good story. And I want to remind you of what the story is. Better days are coming. So let's get ready. And that's that response you talked about. There's something to do about the better story. Secondly, uh, prophets often bring promise. Part of the story that's ahead is not just vaguely what's going to happen, but there are specifics in it. There are very specific things that are going to happen. Um, and part of that has to do with who the Messiah would be. Not only do they bring promises, but they bring clarity about specifically what God is doing. So God said things in generalities in the beginning. But the closer that history got to those events actually happening, the more specific the prophecies got. Does that make sense? So in the beginning, you have this very vague promise of there will be this Messiah, this anointed one, who will crush the, the uh, serpent and who himself will be injured. And that's as specific as it gets for a few hundred years. But that becomes more specific. So Isaiah has these really specific prophecies about what will happen to this Messiah, that he will bleed, that he will die, that his death will heal, and it becomes more specific. And then we have some really specific clarity as we go forward. So what are the, some of the prophecies you remember that get really specific about the Messiah and who that Messiah is? Yeah, where he would be born in a town called Bethlehem, right? What else? Yep, he will bear the full weight of government, ultimately of the earth, right? Yeah, the government will be on his shoulders. Yeah, and what's that? That the, that the Messiah will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, right? Yeah, yeah, good. What else? Yes, somehow by, and I'm sure that was a big mystery, because if you notice... I don't want to give away the ending. Let's keep going. <laughs> so yeah, you guys are right on track. It even says that he would come out of Egypt. I have called my son out of Egypt. So there was a season when Jesus had to, uh, Joseph had to take Jesus out, and they actually moved to Egypt for a couple of years, and then they came back. And then they didn't come back to Bethlehem. They came to Nazareth. There's a prophecy that said the Messiah would come from Nazareth. So very specific clarity about promises and future hope that made it very clear who the Messiah was. So Jewish people could know and John the Baptist could know. We have all kinds of details that will only intersect around one human being, and that human being is Jesus Christ. 
And then the main call in all of this is, hey, when the leader comes, let's get ready. There was even prophecy about a forerunner that would go in front of the Messiah. Who's that? John the Baptist, that he would be a prophet that would come before it. And he would prophesy in a great way, saying, the Messiah is just about here. In fact, he will come while I'm alive. Get ready. So fill up the low spots and knock down the high spots and make a flat plain for Jesus to come and to be seen. Get ready. And then the prophets have also always brought a sense of warning. And this is the opposite of the promise. The promise is if you will be a part of the story, if you will follow after God, then you will enter the story well. But if you reject the story and if you reject the Messiah, it won't go well for you. And this isn't so much as a threat. I think it is a threat. But more than anything, it's a loving word to say to receive the Messiah is best, but to reject him isn't just neutral. To reject the Messiah will be very, very difficult. And so prophets come to warn us. What I want, two things I want you to take away as we think about prophets today. One is that the prophets were going from generalities about a uh, Messiah that would come, and it got more and more specific. And then there was this arrival of Jesus, who we find is the Messiah. And then moving away from Messiah, things brought an out again, and we become the prophets of the future. We become the witnesses moving forward. The prophets in the Old Testament were saying the Messiah is coming. We are able to witness and say the Messiah has come. We believe, and we're told in the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of prophecy to the church. So what does this mean for us as we prophesy in the church? If you believe the spiritual gifts are still given today, what should be the role of someone with the gift of prophecy today? Telling the truth. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Truth-telling. And specifically, truth that's hopeful, that has a promise, that has a warning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Prophets should encourage. Encourage obedience. Encourage cooperation. Encourage the hope of the story. Right, yeah. Yeah. Paul even says prophets, prophecy is specifically given to the church for teaching, encouragement, and comfort. And that's exactly what these men were doing and women were doing for Israel. And now we get to do that for the church. So the witness of the prophets still exists. The final thing I want to give to you is this. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Messiah has two aspects to it. And oddly enough, Israel didn't know about one of those aspects. And the church keeps forgetting about the other one. So when the prophecies were given about Jesus, there were kind of two sets of prophecies, but no one understood that there would be two comings of Jesus. And so all those prophecies were lumped into one. So there's the talk about him suffering for our wounds, and then there's the talk of him bearing the government on his shoulders. Now, does Jesus own the government of the earth today? No, he doesn't. So that hasn't been fulfilled yet. So half of the prophecies that were given have been fulfilled in this role of Savior. The Messiah came as a Savior, but he also came as a king 
And that was not understood until Jesus came. And this is why Israel had so much trouble. The only thing they understood is that Jesus is coming as a king. He's going to come and he's going to crush our enemies. And he's going to create a new government. And he's going to be the governor of the earth. And because we are the people of God, we will be in a really great place. We will be the nation that rules the earth with Messiah as our king. They understood this one half of who Messiah would be. And it was easy to remember because it was super good news for them. Jesus is going to crush our enemies, and he's going to rule the earth, and we will rule with him. They came to find out in a very confusing way through all that Jesus said and did that Jesus was also coming to save. In fact, Yeshua, the name Jesus, Yeshua, means he saves, God saves. This was the other part of the name of Jesus. This they didn't know, this they didn't want, and this they rejected. So the greatest confusion came to a head on the last week before Jesus was crucified. He rode the donkey into town, so everyone's thinking, here we go. Jesus is going to do it now. He's coming in, and so everybody starts getting excited. You know, save us, Hosanna, save us, here it comes. And when they say save us, what they mean is save us politically from Rome. Save our country, Israel. You remember, even when Jesus was ascending, the disciples asked him, Jesus, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of God? They're always asking this question, and rightly so. And Jesus says, no, that's not for you to know. So Israel was always looking for the conquering king, but they weren't ready for the sacrificial savior. And so he goes on Monday or Sunday from being worshipped and hailed king to being hated and being told, get rid of him, kill him, crucify him by the end of the week. Because they did not understand, Jesus comes as Messiah the Savior and as Messiah the King. Those uh, Christians that were blessed by the Holy Spirit to be given understanding got it. And they became the first apostles and the first disciples of Jesus. The danger for us today is that we forget that Jesus has come as King. We see the Savior part, and that makes a ton of sense to us, and we welcome it because we need it. Israel desperately needed a king to protect them and to provide for them. We realize we desperately need a Savior to save us from brokenness and from evil and even from our own sin. But we need to not do what Israel did and fail to recognize the other side of the coin. Jesus came as a king as well. And so I hope that as we move towards Christmas, and Peter, thank you for choosing, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the right song to begin with, (laughs) right? You are my king. Jesus, you are my king. You are my king. So as we move to worship, I encourage you to sit in that other side of the coin. We talk a lot about Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord, and he died for me. Absolutely true. And this is what we tell our children. We also must remember and respond to and tell our children, Jesus came as a king. Jesus came as a king. So the question to ask is, am I living today in line with Jesus' kingship? The sad and easy thing to do is say, thank you, Savior, I'm saved. Now I'm going to go back to what I was doing. But that's a misunderstanding of the kingship of Jesus that we are also called now to be subjects of the king, that he is to rule. The good news is Jesus rules really, really well. The good news is Jesus loves everyone that he rules. But the call is that we literally stop ruling our own lives, 
and we stop leading our own lives and we say, Jesus, I make you king of my life. You lead my life. You, you help me with the choices I need to make. You help me be the person you've called me to be.